when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that come from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. One more time. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that out of his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength by his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and make you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to him who is able. According to his mighty power at work in us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think, all glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I said, Lord, when are we getting back to Nehemiah? And he said, you got you to gotta serve what you're cooking. And I said, what am I cooking? He goes, you know what you're cooking. You can't leave Ephesians 3. You're ca- I'm, I'm captured by this, this prayer. Every line of this prayer is amazing to me when he thinks about the the mystery, when he thinks about 
the fullness of what God's up to in, in history, when he thinks about the message that he's been entrusted to that's been a secret for ages past, but now has been revealed. And the mystery is, history's all about God forming a people with whom he can abide as his children, and he does it through Jesus and that everything's going to come together at the end of history around the person of Jesus. The news isn't covering it. No. The world isn't clued into it. They're completely blind to it. But we who know God, we who've been awakened by the Spirit, we who've had the call of God issued to our hearts, we've woken up to the reason we're alive, to the true story about everything. The story of the universe is the story of God. The real story of human history is the story of Jesus revealing who we are and who he is and wooing us and then bringing everything together under the lordship of Jesus. That's the real story. That's the meta narrative. I hope you read your Bible, but I hope you don't read it devotionally. Do you know what I mean? Like you read it to get a word for your feelings that day. Just plop it open somewhere and be like, I wonder what God's saying to me. And then plop it open and poke your finger at it. Just read it for how it relates to me and my feelings. Oh, I, I was really struggling with this. And then I popped open my Bible and I was looking obsessively for some verse that relates to what I'm going through. I pray you study it to read it on its own terms. To let it shape your view, your understanding of what is true about reality. And then I pray that you relate to God as devotionally as possible. Does that make sense? I pray you study the Bible with as much scholastic rigor as you possibly can to understand it on its own terms, not come to it to get a word for your moods, but to get a vision of who is God, what is life for and about. And then I hope you give yourself as emotionally and creatively and with as much of your will as you possibly can to the God that you see in those pages. And Paul, when he understands, when he sees this vision, of this real, true, secret story about what is life about, he falls to his knees. When you see this, you go, oh my word, this is what life is about. So when we miss this, we miss real life. This is for everyone. This isn't just for the church. This isn't just for me and mine. This isn't just for me and my kids. This isn't just for Gateway. That this has always been about God's heart for the whole world. That he called Abraham out and said, through you all the nations, all the peoples of the world will be blessed through you. God's always had his, his eye not on Christianity, on the whole planet coming into what he made it for. I'm blown away by people who give their lives to this. I remember, I remember hearing stories about people going to Muslim countries, going to Buddhist countries, going to countries that have never heard of Jesus and spending their life learning the language, leaving their family and friends behind, leaving their job behind, leaving all the dreams they had for their life behind to embrace a totally different dream, God's dream. And, and it would seem like insanity. I remember talking to someone 
An older woman, well, now she was probably my age. But I was younger, so she was older than me. And she couldn't understand why somebody would go to a, a hostile country that hates us, full of people who, who view us as the enemy. Why would you go to a country where people don't want to even hear about Jesus anyway? And then they kill you, and then what? You wasted your life. That was the way she thought. And I thought, oh, she doesn't, she doesn't, have, she doesn't have God's view of the world yet. It's me and mine. It's, what can I, it's can I, what's the happiest life I can live? What's the plushest life I can live? What's the, well, of course, me being happy, having a good marriage, having help, healthy children who have a good college, and then everybody's happy, and we have little reunions. We go on vacations, and then when it's time to retire, I retire, and I lived a really happy life, and I was godly, and everything was fine. Who wants to have the story, she thinks, where you're 26 years old, you sell out, you sell everything, you go over to a country, you learn Farsi, and they kill you. She says, what a waste. And then you read the story, the actual Bible story, and you find that the people who give their lives for the call of God, for the mission of God, for the plan of God, because of the heart of God revealed in the gospel, they achieve an eternal reward far greater than if they had lived those precious little safe, protected lives of happiness. That their eternity is happier they get a better resurrection in the, in the age to come. They are happier than if they had lived to be 90 here. Oh, that we would get a vision. This is why I say, and you know I'm half kidding when I say don't read your Bible devotionally. Of course, I want you to read it to hear God. But don't read it with a tiny little me-centered how my day is going and how my week is going and they hurt my feelings and now I have a boo-boo on my heart. It's not about me. And when I step back from the about meism of my approach to the Bible and everything, I can get this vision, this vision of God's gospel that includes me, but it's not about me. A, a, a perspective. And Paul says, man, when I grasp the magnificent character of the God who created everything and who redeemed me, I fall to my knees. When I, when I get the vision of, of, of where we're at in history and how significant it is that the saints grow up into maturity, when I, when I catch a vision of the value of every life, ah, I fall to my knees and I pray. I'm praying for the saints. Paul said he's constantly praying, constantly praying. I'm struck with this prayer. This, this prayer is not about a one-time encounter. It's, this prayer is about a slow, lifelong process of becoming something, of coming into something. I don't know if you've thought much about the issue of power. Is there a fly? How dare you? Think about electricity with me just for a little minute. It's new in the big history of human technological use. We did not have the capacity to lasso lightning and make it serve our purposes 300 years ago. It's brand new. Now, now, what, what are you talking about? I can turn my lights on at my house right now, shall I? Good morning. 
One sec. Okay, done. Now the lights in my office at home are on. 300 years ago, we, we just, here's what your experience was with electricity. Sometimes lightning would strike and it was terrifying and it meant that the gods were angry or something. Right? Sometimes if you rubbed your foot on the animal furs and then you touch somebody, they got a little spark. It's magic. Must be the souls of the animals. Now, now, humans have found a way to express our dominion, which is what this really is. Genesis 1.26, in the beginning God created Adam and Eve in his image and he gave us dominion over the fish. That's the first thing listed is fish. That's pretty humble. Then the birds... Then like land animals. And then this really gross one, creeping things. Did you see any creeping things today? I hope you didn't see too many. My wife's not a fan of creeping things. Which one of the kids is obsessed with? It's Annie, isn't it? Annie and I had a conversation about this verse. Because she's not a fan of creeping things in her bed. Are there bugs in my bed? Check for me. Are there bugs in, in the house? But we've extended this dominion. We're actually responsible for the planet is what, is what God put us in charge of originally. You're in my image. You have relationship with me. Now you're responsible for the planet. And now we've extended that to include things like electricity. But think about this. Raw power, raw power is not that useful until you, till you find ways to, to make it precise. And God, who has all power, all power, but what he, what he wants is love. So God in his power could just show up. Jesus in his splendor could just show up. I don't know if you realize who we're dealing with when we say the word God. Because sometimes we picture ourselves as being really big. And what's happening here on planet Earth is really important. And the bill I have to pay or that person who said that thing or that disagreement or my worry about the culture and blah, 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 whatever it is, we think that's really big stuff. And then you back up from planet Earth and you realize we're like a speck of sand next to a relatively small star that we owe everything to because everything's solar powered. Everything is solar powered. Fossil fuels are solar powered by plants that you get it, decomposed, turned to fossil. But they started as solar powers. He says, no, fine. Everything is still solar powered and everything's made of stardust. I got my resident in-house physicist and in the back, Andrew shaking his head at me. Fix it in post. And you, you back up, you back further and further up from planet Earth where these very important and significant lives are occurring and we're a speck of sand. In our little solar system, which we thought was the center of everything a thousand years ago, now we realize it's, it's teensy tiny, and then you back up further. And the further you back up, we disappear and we become an invisible, too small for the naked eye to even see, in shadow, hidden. And then you realize this vision we have of Jesus for all these years is way too small. 
because the universe is massive to us and we're a dot in the middle of an just ridiculously massive circle on a page. A dot so small you can't see it when you back up. But the universe is the dot too small to see inside of Jesus if you keep backing up. And we don't think that way. So God, who has infinite power, who's so great we can't hardly begin to comprehend him in those terms, but what he wants is love. He could come in his power and show up in such glory and such intimidating strength that we all obey him out of fear. It wouldn't take effort for him, would it? He created everything that exists with breath. It was effortless. God has never broken a sweat. Not one time in human history has God ever broken a sweat. He hasn't exerted himself. So if he wanted, he could hover over humans. He could just hover over humans and his power could be on such display that out of terrorizing fear, we obey him. And that would absolutely fail at his only goal. He doesn't want people who are so afraid that out of self-interest and self-preservation, we do what he said and not what we want. What he wants is people who voluntarily love the right things. What he wants is people who freely love and choose the right things, who enjoy him and walk. That's what he wants. So how then can God take all this power and make it useful? This prayer says how. All this electricity that you find in a lightning bolt, if you know how to harness it, how to work it for detail, tiny little capacitors, teensy little transistors, tiny little microchips, things doing such precision that almost consciousness emerges out of the hardware. We call it software, but in us, it's consciousness emerges, spirit emerges, soul emerges out of the biology. And God uses his power not to threaten us, but Paul says, I pray, I pray that out of God's infinite power, he's going to strengthen you in your inner spirit to understand something, to think something, to realize something. Talk about incredible precision and detail. Your thoughts. Not, not, not let there be and explosions happen. No, just this tiny little precise circuitry suddenly wiring up the right way and your understanding comes online and suddenly you go, oh my word, God's beautiful. Oh my word, I can trust him. Oh my word, this other thing that I was thinking is wrong and now I can choose this. This is like standard Christian doctrine is to say, I once was, but now I'm found. What's the word I was missing there? You know what the definition of being lost is? Well, I'm not going to give you a definition. Let me try that question again. You know what it is to be lost? You don't know where you are. If you don't know where you are, even if someone hands you a map, it's useless. Because you don't know where you are, so you don't know how to start. Where am I in this map? That's why most maps say you are here. Until 
you suddenly know where you are. Until understanding comes online, even the Bible's useless. Mentors are useless. Friends are useless. Until understanding comes online and you see things, finally. So Paul's going, oh my word, when I see this, when I see what, who God is, when I see what's true about life, when I see what's true about eternity, when I see what's true about history, I fall to my knees and I pray that God's power would bring understanding. And he says it again a few verses later. I pray that you may have the power to understand. Understand. Power to understand. And he knows, he knows, he knows. This is the whole deal. That if we get people who deeply live rooted in this experience, this belief, this thought, this perspective, deeply rooted in it, they will be unshakable. They will be unmovable. They'll be, they'll be drawing their life from the life-giving sap of who God is for them and for the world. So I keep reciting this in my room over and over. And every verse seems just overwhelmingly big, like I can't do it justice. I'm afraid to preach it. I'm afraid to preach it because I'm afraid I'll, in my mind, check a box that says, okay, we preached it, let's move on. And I said, I said to the Lord, please don't let me do that. Please let me keep going after this, even though I've preached it. You know, you ever do that? You check a box, that's done, move on, and it's not even close to done? I, I, I want to become things. I don't want to know things. So I read a book, and then when it's done, I don't put it down and I go away. I go back to the beginning, and I start over. Because I want to live this thing out. I want to know this thing. Right now, I'm living in a book by Frank Laubach called Letters from a Modern Mystic. And Frank is a missionary in a Muslim country in the writing of the book. And he's so lonely, incredibly lonely. And in the loneliness, he's driven to God. It's the worst year of his life. And the worst year of his life becomes the best year of his life in his walk with God. Because the desperation and the loneliness and the confusion and the seemingly lack of fruit becomes the opportunity for him to go, okay, God, what do I do? I've been saying this for a while now, but it's so important that we leave space in our day to be depressed, sad, lonely, and bored. Because if we don't, we will never be happy, whole, and on mission as a creative person. We were made by a creator to be creative. We were not made by a business to be a consumer. Part of the myth that's operating in our culture is that, I'm, that, that I am not uh, God's kid, but rather, I'm a dollar sign. All the algorithms of all the apps view me as a dollar sign. Keep his attention. Give him his dopamine drip so that I can keep his attention, so I can get his money because that's what he exists to do. Buy stuff, click stuff, watch stuff, and then review stuff. It's who you are. You're a dollar sign. Homo economicus. Man, the buyer, the consumer. 
That's, how, that's the American view, guys. I hope I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. But it's not who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm meant to be a kid, inquisitive, creative, awake and alive, making things, breaking things, trying things, doing things, scraping my knee on things. My whole life, I'm supposed to be an inquisitive, alive, awake, excited about trinkets people don't care about. Right? Say, Tim, what is the deal? What you been doing lately? Soldering wires together and looking at electronic stuff and trying to figure out how I'm going to build my own condenser microphone. Why? Just buy one. I could. That'd be cheaper and easier and it would probably sound better. But I want to make one. What you doing today, Tim? I went up to, uh, I went up to the farm supply sh- store and I bought a bunch of those chicken heat lamps for $12.99. And I took them completely apart, cut their power cords off three seconds after bringing them into the house. Ruined them as soon as I opened the package. That's a rule of thumb. As soon as you buy something, void the warranty. Immediately. Just break it. Then what'd you do, Tim? I put Wi-Fi bulbs in them and I rewired them with 25 foot for five bucks. Lamp cord from Lowe's. Put hook in the ceiling in the drywall. Hung them all over my office. And I just turned the lights on. You saw it happen. Why would you do that? I don't know, I'm obsessed. I said, Lord, why am, so, why am I so obsessed with light? I want more light. I got more light in here. I got more light everywhere. I want more light. Why am I obsessed with light, God? He goes, hmm. And then we started studying every single Bible passage about light. Did you know it's the first thing he created? Did you know it's who he said he is? Did you know it's who he said you are? Interesting. I don't understand these weird things that happened to me. Then I became obsessed with power. Why am I obsessed with power, Lord? Why am I obsessed with electricity, Lord? I don't understand it. Why am I this way? Why was I crawling up in my crawl space five times yesterday, cutting a hole in my, you know, dining room ceiling to put in a six-inch flush mount recessed light and had to run a white wire back to the one over to the chandelier because it's on a three-way switch and the thing the wiring was so jacked up I got the power from the one switch but couldn't get it to return so you didn't complete a circuit so even though I spent it all right two days to do it called Jacob on the phone and he's so patient and he explained what my problem was over the phone and so now you got to run he said you know Tim the problem is your neutrals are always white, but your whites aren't always neutral. And I acted like that made sense to me. I said, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. What? And he goes, well, if you're really adventurous, just turn the power on, take the wires, and push them together and see what happens. So I did that. And it worked. I was like, oh, there, that's the one. Use my multimeter to check the voltage because he told me to. Why am I so obsessed? And then as soon as the job's done, Carrie takes one look and says, I like it. I want three more over here and I want four in that room. <laughs> what is the deal? Why, am I, why can't I let go of stuff? Why am I so obsessive? Well, I was made to be a lifelong little kid. I was made to be a creator. I'd rather do it twice, do it thrice, break it once, break it twice and fix it and have it not be awesome and learn I don't understand so I'm obsessed with light and I'm obsessed with power and it's everywhere in the Bible 
And the ultimate power is God's power. And you'd think he's going to show up in glory. Did you know if he shows up in glory, we just vaporize? We forget who we talk to when we pray, don't we? We think he's our Santa Claus in the sky and he's our friend and we're so special. We forget how holy he is. We forget how strong he is. We forget how big he is. We forget nothing's impossible for him. We forget nothing's even difficult for him. We forget that we exist because he wills it. He allows it. We forget that Colossians says every moment Jesus sustains every molecule by his word of power. We forget that the time is coming when Jesus, with a word, will transform our bodies to become just like his body, incapable of dying. We forget that's where history is headed and that's what life's about, that this is a short-term thing and that's our long-term thing. We forget who we're worshiping. We forget who we're talking to. And I've been wanting to wake up to this reality. I've been asking to wake up to this reality. I feel like people like Rusty have a pretty good grip on it. One day I was up here singing a Jason Upton song and he said in the chorus, you know, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the tag, he says, everybody's scared of dying and no one wants to roll away the stone. And I looked out and I saw Rusty's face and he was like, I ain't afraid of dying. Take me now. And I knew it. I believed it. Is that right, Rusty? He's nodding. He says, no, I ain't afraid of dying at all. Take me now. Life's sometimes annoying. Let's go. I want to be with Jesus. That's not my attitude. I want to know Jesus, but it'd be nice if I had about a thousand more years. I think it's so important. Paul says, I fall to my knees when I think of all these things. I think it's so important that we think of all these things. I think it's so important that we get captured by the gospel. That the gospel capture our imagination so much that falling to our knees and praying for people constantly to know him, to get rooted in him, to have the slow process of being so anchored in him, to have the power of the spirit flowing through them so that they perceive and see correctly and then love deeply. I think we should think about these things. Guys, here's a question for you. What will you be doing 500 years from now? And I'm telling you, my whole life, that question sounded nutty to me. What do you mean, what will I be doing 500 years from now? The other day I sat down and I added, I'm 44 and it's 2023 and I started to add five, 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 all these. Every five years, I wrote down how old I'll be and what year it will be. Ooh, eye opening. Bro, I'm half done. That's if things go well and there's no guarantees they will. I started to see when I'm going to be 65, when I'm going to be this age, when I'm going to be that age. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's 10 years away that I'm going to be that age. And it's going to be this year. And that seems so close. When you think about how fast the last 10 years went, it's nutty. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll retire, you know, in 2050. It's 2023, y'all. That's almost there. And then I started thinking, I wonder when my parents will die. I wonder who's going to have this hard thing happen to them. I wonder what kind of sufferings and joys we'll go through for these years. I started rolling through my Google calendar in month view, where you see all the days and the months are small. And I just started rolling, scrolling with the scroll wheel over those years and realizing this is my whole life I'm looking at. And it's going by very, very, very briefly, very quickly, very quickly. You and I will be beyond this life. And the gospel says somewhere else. 
And I think it's so important that we actually spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time thinking, what will I be doing 500 years from now? I hope our answer is not an endless church service. I remember being in college and our college president, Dr. Daniel Geyerson, David Geyerson, it doesn't matter, he knows his name, Dr. Geyerson. He talked about his dad and he said, my dad's definition of heaven is endless discovery. That's never left me. Because I can't help but I'm so endlessly intrigued and inquisitive. I want to learn things. I wish I had a thousand lives and I'd do a different career for every one of them. Are you with me? Do you feel this? Isn't life an incredibly precious? Isn't consciousness, awareness? I get to exist as me. It's this wild thing. Isn't it amazing to be Phoenix? It is. Like he could have made you someone else. He made you you. I I think one of the most important Christian truths right now that we need to be careful to live out and protect is the truth that God designed people and values them and has a plan for their life to use them in a special way. Our culture's eaten up. I'm going to say this is very controversial. Our culture's eaten up with such identity confusion that we think I have to go to a doctor and be surgically changed to a different gender because I don't like who I am. And I want to say to those people, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not, there's not, God, God designed you beautifully. You can't see it because there's an enemy, but there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Like, I'm not into this whole just love yourself thing. I'm into this whole receive God's love and you'll begin to agree with it. He's right. And if he loves me, he's right to love me. If he says I have value, I'm learning that I do have value. I heard a young man say, I hate my Adam's apple and I hate my gravelly male voice and I just want to become a woman. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with your Adam's apple and your voice is awesome, dude. Your voice is amazing. I wish I had a little gravelier voice. Sometimes I, I think I sound, yeah, that's what's going on. I'm Tim. How are you doing? Then I hear my preaching and I go, I go, ooh. But y'all have never whined to say, um, your voice is grating and terrible. Just stop talking. You know, and I wonder, I, I just, I wonder how many people, it's like, a, like an anorexic girl or guy looking in the mirror and saying, I'm fat and everyone else knows they're way too skinny and it's scary and they think, all they see is how fat they are. Or someone who looks in the mirror and they think they're so ugly. I remember talking to someone on the phone and they were convinced that they were so ugly. And I said, why do you think you're ugly? And he said, because my face is disproportionate. It's not straight. It's not symmetrical. And, he's, and he, was, he was like like suicidal level self-hatred over his various, bio, his physical traits and mental traits. Why am I stupid and why can't I do anything and why am I ugly? 
And I'm outside of him saying, you're extremely intelligent and really good looking and probably better looking than me, but I feel like I'm better looking than you because it doesn't. Do you ever just look in the mirror and be like, oh yeah, it's going to be a good day. And then I just need to get rid of this a little bit, but eh, you know, nobody's perfectly happy. Even that model is like, oh no, I'm starting to age. Girl, you're 70. You, you, Yes, you are aging. The, like the scripture says, keeping this 500-year-long view, right? What am I going to be doing in 500 years? Paul says, outwardly, listen, outwardly we're wasting away. That's just a fact, y'all. But inwardly we're being renewed. Paul's saying, as we age, we're supposed to get less and less comfortable with this life and more and more longing for the next life. This whole life's about growing in intimacy and growing in hope so that as the tent that we live in is wearing out, and it is, we don't go, oh man, my whole life's behind me and there's nothing ahead of me and it's just terrible. No, we're actually transitioning. It's like a preparatory phase where we're learning to place our hope so much more in the next life that even though we're outwardly wasting away, we're actually being renewed. We're getting more happy, more holy, more joyful. And my mom says of aging, like her aging parents, she said, you know, we start out babies unable to do anything to earn any affection or love. We're just loved. You can't do anything. You can't provide anything. You can't assist with anything. In fact, you just scream and poop and sleep. That's it. You have like three jobs, scream, poop, sleep. Well, I'm sorry, eat. Eat a lot. And, and make sure that you, you get five jobs. Make sure nobody gets sleep. Oh, my goodness. But and mom said that when we're little, we're just loved for who we are. And then we grow up and we go, I want to do it. I can do it myself. And we learn how to do. And then we go, yes. And then we get celebrated when we do well. And so then we start to go, yes. And that feels good to be celebrated for doing well. So our whole life, we're taught to achieve and, and, th- and thrive through achievement and find ourselves in what we do. And then mom says, but God builds this mercy into the end of our lives where we lose our capacity to do for others. And we have one more chance, one more chance to be loved for who we are. I thought that was really deep. And then she was mad at her, at her dad for trying to find, maybe the reason I'm still on earth is because I have to testify to my neighbors yet. Then God will take me in. She's like, oh, Henry, just, just receive love, dang it. I'd be like, you know, the angrier you get in your prayers doesn't mean they get more answered. I don't know how long I'm going to be on Ephesians 3, the prayer. But all I did was just scratch the surface a little bit today. And I just want, I, I want us to genuinely be captured by this vision the for this reason I fall to my knees. When I see things clearly, a lifestyle of prayer that people, that we, that we wake up. And if we're going to have power, if we're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit, the most useful thing it can be for is to experience and know and be rooted in God's love. That sounds so simple. It's too simple. Give us a more complex message, Paul. He says, shh. No, not gonna. Know this love. 
Drink this love. Grow into this love. Stay connected into this love. Don't get beyond it. Just stay in it and grow up in it. Don't get beyond it. Don't move past it. Stay in it long term. I'm really trying to finish. Frank, the missionary to the Muslims who had the lonely year, he noticed that the Muslims are obsessed with God's will. He said, these Muslims put us Christians to shame with their level of devotion. He said, we bank on grace. They actually honor and reverence God and organize their life around this thing. They treat God as holy. We treat God as, oh, Sandy in the Santa Claus in the sky. He's my, it's his job to forgive me when I sin. And they go, it's my job to please him and repent of my sin. And he goes, they got some stuff right that we need to learn from and their obsession with God's will. We use our brain to ex- escape God's will. Make the Bible mean what we want it to mean. They submit to God's will. Now he said, not all, <laughs> right? Not all. But it challenged him. He said, if I'm going to be a missionary to Muslims, I can't just stand there with arguments and tell them, you're wrong and I'm right. He said, I'm going to have to burn. I'm going to have to shine. I'm going to have to carry the reality of Christ as such bright, so, so, so authentic, so much love and mercy and peace and contentment, so much seriousness and joy at the same time is going to have to flow out of me that they, they, they encounter the very God they're aiming to achieve. They're going to have to see he's got the thing we want. And he said, so I set out to do God's will. He said, surely Jesus lived every single moment of his day aware of God's presence and and, and asking the eternal question, what would you have me do right now, God? What would you have me say right now? Father, what are we doing now? Every step, right? It says that the the spirit at, at Jesus' baptism, the spirit descended on him like a dove and rested on him. If you have a dove on your shoulder, how do you walk? Do you just take off running and... No, it flies away. If you have a dove on your shoulder, every move is carefully with reference. Your eyes on the path, but your eyes also on the dove. Every move is with reference to the dove. Surely Jesus, Frank says, my buddy Frank, he's in heaven. Frank says... Surely Jesus lived moment by moment aware of the Father asking, What's, what are we doing now, Father? What are we saying now? Who are we reaching out to now? What are we into now? Surely that's the way Jesus built homes when he, or home, whatever he could, when he was a carpenter. Surely that's how he lived his whole life. And then he says this, Frank says this, When I bring the idea of living constantly in a state of awareness and surrender and in step, with God's will, when I bring it up to my Christian friends, they all say, that's not possible and you're not right in the head and we think that would be damaging to your emotional and spiritual health. Isn't that interesting? They go, that doesn't sound healthy. You need to just take a pill, go to a counselor and trust in grace, whatever that means. Just chill, bro. Relax. It don't take all that. You're going to hurt yourself with that level of aiming at perfection. And he goes, if this is how Jesus lived, how is this not normal for disciples of Jesus? 
So he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live my life as a grand experiment to see if I can live every waking moment aware of God's presence and lined up with heaven in a posture of everything I'm doing, I'm doing with you. I'm not just going to read. I'm going to read. Whenever I read, I'm going to read to the Lord. I'm not just going to think. Whenever I think, I'm going to think with God. And when I talk and I walk with God outside, I'm going to talk out loud and I'm going to let God respond to my prayers out loud through my own mouth. I encourage you to do this. Do this. Talk to God out loud and let him answer you out loud through your own mouth. Please do this. This is your birthright, friends. We were made for this. This is our native home. What time is it? Oh, time to stop. Good. Prayer team, come on up. I don't know where this dinosaur came from, but there's a yellow dinosaur right here for you guys. What you got, Stanley? Um, uh, the whole time when Tim was talking, um, I don't care if you've been serving the Lord all your life. If you're in a dry place today and you haven't felt the presence of God in a while... I want you to come up here and let me pray for you. I don't. I know this is not for everybody, but for somebody because the Lord was giving this to me the whole time while Tim was talking. So whoever that's for, um, please come and get prayer. Um, one of the things that Tim was saying that like hit me was um, self-esteem, but it's not self-esteem that we need. It's God's esteem. Um, so if, if you're someone who's struggling with that, like, their identity or the view of themselves or how God sees them, I want to pray with you. Let's pray. Did you have one? No, maybe. At least say the two words God said to you this week. Come on. All right. I told him, do the assignment. He did the assignment. All right, so I did this assignment. Tim asked me to uh, talk to God out loud and just ask God a question. So I asked him, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I did, and uh, the Lord was like, I asked, I asked the Lord, how can I get closer to you, or what do I got to do to get closer to you? Because I want to be, like, super close. And he goes, dive deeper. Just the two words, dive deeper. And I was like, oh, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> so... I got on a ride home and I got thinking about it. And one is being in my word more. Two is talking to him more. And then I called Tim when I got home. And got and I told him. And that was pretty good. The reaction I got from you was oh, so good. Dude, that was totally awesome. So I wrote it down. And then I told Stan last night, well, before I even got, for, or the other night, before we even got over to Stan's, the Lord gave me another one. Oh, you know how Stan gets up here and he's on his face? Yeah. Well, the Lord wants me to get in the pool. So Stan's diving deeper. Stan's diving deeper, and I'm standing up here getting in the pool today. Stan's diving deeper. See, that's interesting. Yeah. So. Thank you for sharing. See, to me, as, as, as the guy who, like, 
is trying to figure out what's my job to help other people know Jesus better, hearing that Jesus is doing just fine on his own. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Go ahead and stand. Go ahead and stand. Yeah. Oh, you got one too. Pray if you're going to do a group prayer thing. Yeah. My heart this morning was for the Word, the Bible. I wanted it yeah. richer. I wanted it, it more intimate and, yeah. and everything. And you, you said that. So just could you pray with yeah. us, a group? Because I said anyone yeah. that wants to know the Bible deeper, but that's right. for all of us. Yeah. So. Okay, so Father, in Jesus' name, you under you opened. This is still on the understanding thing, isn't it, from Luke 24? Because that, yeah, understanding. You opened their minds. You gave them understanding. To, un, to, 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 to grasp that the things would come online. So we ask again, God, would you open our understanding to see you clearly and that when we read your Bible, we would see you accurately, we would get a sense for your values, your, what you're really trying to say. We know that we're all biased. We know that we all have our little perspective, our cultural perspectives and our personal perspectives, but we just want to know you from where we are, from who we are, from the time in which we live. We want to know you, God. So we ask in Jesus' name that the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray, God, for the power of the Holy Spirit to flood each and every heart right now, God. And not just right now, but I pray, God, for the power of the Holy Spirit to turn the lights of understanding on, to open the eyes of our hearts, to perceive you clearly as love. God, wake us up to the hope that we have in you. Wake us up to the hope that we have in you. We want to know you more. Show us a vision of what we will be doing 500 years from now. 500 years from now. And give us a vision, God, that that makes prayer make sense and that makes mission make sense, that makes Jesus the sanest, wisest person we've ever met. Get glory, God. Get glory from our lives. Get glory as your name goes forth and get glory, God, from this next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. Amen. Amen.